Welcome, adventurers. This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your co-host, Demi. And we have a very special episode for you today, where we will be building a roleplay character from almost scratch. Not quite. (laughs) This is something a little bit different, but we thought it would be fun, and we thought that it might help people with developing characters and things to think about. But with us, of course, we need somebody who has a character to develop, and we have a real-life friend of remixes here, so please welcome Russell, also known as Rithrael Klinbarvin from Gilgamesh. Hello! Welcome! Glad to be here. Thank you for coming on. Why don't you tell the audience who doesn't quite know you yet a little bit about your in-game self? Sure. Uh, I am Russ, a.k.a. Risrael Klinbarvin from Gilgamesh. Uh... I am a member of the Esper's United Guild, along with Remix, and I've been playing the game since the game launched way back when, like four years now. We just had the Rising. That blows my mind. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, I've just been having a lot of fun playing with folks and just all the antics we get up to, but I've mostly been playing from the perspective of just a person playing the game and viewing the story as an outsider. So I haven't really done much role-playing experience, you know, as the character that I have created. But yeah, I picked a femro because femros are awesome. Woo! Yeah. I agree. Yes. And I've mostly been sticking to tank roles, which could weave into story. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, but... I think it does. Yeah, I think so. We can stretch that. Also stretching into other roles, which, you know, we could talk about. So would you say that you're kind of roleplay curious? I mean, certainly. (laughs) Just to give you a bit of a background, I think in college, I experimented with Dungeons and Dragons and just, you know, both being on the character side and on like the dungeon mastering side. So I have a little bit of experience, but it's been a while since I've actually like developed and fleshed out like a full character. Um, And most of those characters have only been around for like short periods of time and haven't really had time to like grow and evolve. So... This will be a neat experience. Hopefully this will help and and give you a little bit of a guide in determining how your character might act in certain situations. Yeah, totally. I think it's fun to dive into. Yeah. Well, I think you're off to a good start because you've got that lore-appropriate femro name. Why, yes. I did a lot (laughs) of research on that, as it turns out. Yeah, and I think that even just making that leap into putting yourself into the world and making that attempt to be lore-compliant... And also maybe picking a female character when you don't really identify as female. Yeah. Shows that you're kind of thinking of the character as their own person, which I like to say is sort of the first step in the roleplay mindset. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so some background on that name. So uh, there was a really awesome lore resource on the official forums, and I think, I forget who put it out, I think it was Koji, or whoever their resident lore expert was at the time, but they actually had a full Rogadin dictionary of words and their meanings in that language and also how names were generated so i like perused the whole thing for a while just to sort of find an appropriate name so i picked risrael which i believe translates into giant doe like a deer a female deer a female deer in fact (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh yeah because everyone it seems like every femro name ends with like a certain thing whether that be like doe or bride or something like that yeah 
Yeah, and then the last name is Clinbarvin, which is well, Vin is daughter, so you have to have that in every name. So then Clinbar was translated into Little Bear. And the reason I picked that name is because at the time I was working in the office and we had a dog that would come into the office all the time named Little Bear. Uh, he's on a, he's dressing up in like weird video game costumes. Like the dog was Star Fox for Halloween and he actually had like a jacket with like little fake arms. But anyway, <laughs> so I think that like was sitting in my head when I was originally like coming up with the character name. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this. And hey, the way that the row names are structured, it seems like you might actually have the name of one of your character's parents. Yes. Uh, yeah. It works out pretty well. And that's definitely something that I was like thinking about in my head. Like, oh, so there's a guy named Little Bear out there. There's a guy named Clinbar, and he's probably like, you know, a real character. Possibly just like a scrawny, a tiny row living out there in the world somewhere. So yeah, like I kind of had like an idea for this in my head if you guys wanted me to like go into it. But uh Yes, please. Yeah. yeah, okay. So yeah, very very original concept I had for Risrael was that she was born in this like rural fishing village that was just sort of like not really on the map anywhere in like the typical like world map that you see in game. And her father was just like this tiny dude named Cleanbar who got his name because he was kind of like a runt at birth. And he was probably teased about this for a while. So he ended up living a very, like, quiet and secluded life uh, as a fisherman because he was like, I'm tired of people just giving me crap. I just want to, like, go do my own thing somewhere. So that was sort of the idea originally. And then Risrael, born into this fishing village, learned to fish and, you know, experienced the whole, like, quiet life. But then she was like, this is boring. I would like to become an adventurer. And so she set off into the world to Limsa Lominsa. And then became an adventurer, which is kind of how I imagine, like, that opening cutscene. When you make your character for the first time, that's kind of how I imagined it playing out. And there's sort of that, like, the sense of, like, wonder on your character's face as they, like, step off the boat into the town for the first time. I was like, yes, that's Mm. the thing right there. Good point. Yeah. Most of us who haven't started any new characters recently may hardly remember that moment. Yeah. It's funny because, like, that moment still, like, cements itself in my head as, like, this is the start of something awesome. It is good to have that feeling. Yeah. Now, I'm familiar with the official naming convention guides that they've released. Yes. For all the races, including Rugadin. Now, having met different original characters in my time, I've noticed that a lot of people who play female Rugadin don't follow this sort of convention that the second word in their name always has to be kind of like from this predetermined set of extremely feminine words. Yeah. It seems to be a social construct that there is some patriarchy in this society. It sort of favors men in this subtle way because there are no such restrictions on male names. They can be named after anything at all. But they're saying typically women have a second name that comes from this set of things, and they're all extremely feminine. Yeah, that was a really interesting thing to look at when I was actually coming up with names, because there were a lot of interesting like structures that I wanted to put together from reading like through everything, but then it was sort of like, well, this is typically be a man's name, because a man's name has no restrictions, but a woman's name normally ends with one of these things. So it's kind of like the balance between finding something like that sounded good versus something that also was lore-appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, but I definitely agree with you that there's, like, an interesting, like, defined social construct there. Yeah. Interestingly, for the Seawolf side of things, that set of, like, naming conventions is used. But for the Hellsguard side of things, actually, like, the naming conventions are completely different. Like, in general, I think it's the structure of 
adjective noun or something like that. So depending on which side of that coin you really want to pick, you end up like going with stuff that's like completely different. And I feel like the Hellsguard side of things is actually a lot more flexible in that regard. I think so. Yeah. And I had a bunch of terrible joke names that I threw out of my head for a Hellsguard name, and then I realized this was too silly, and I kind of want something more appropriate, <laughs> so let's not do that. Hey, I've done that too, don't worry. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. You are able to have some fun with the Hellsguard names. For example, one yeah. of the Crucible staffers is called Mountain Dew. Oh, perfect. And it's completely yeah. it's completely lower appropriate. Yeah. I, had, I had some terrible name ideas, like Justice Hurricane was definitely on my <laughs> list of names. As a Hell's Guard, because Justice is a female name, right? That's a thing. That's totally cool. And then um, Banana Sandwiches, that was one of my favorite, too. <laughs> um, but that never, that never happened. Never quite happened. Yeah, oh, for man. me, my list, my list was entirely, like, innuendo-based. Oh, awesome. How many names can you put in there that are lore-appropriate, but still imply something else? Oh, yeah. If you can load... Hey. All the double entendres that you possibly can into that name, then I'd say you've done a great job. <laughs> yeah, it is fun to play around. But when you're making an original character, from my perspective, it's perfectly fine if you say, well, my femro or her parents chose not to abide by this social construct and they gave her a different name that ended with something else or something more masculine sounding because we know that this rule set is artificial and we're taking a small rebellion against us because we are more egalitarian. And then some people just will come from a traditional family and they just accept that. I think that all the femoral NPCs that we see all kind of follow this, but I don't know. We're in a new modern age. These things happen in real life too, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Whether it's with first names or last names, you know, there's also the fact that they're using patronymy for their surnames. Like so-and-so is the son or daughter of their father, but someone out there must have been raised by a single mother. Yeah, totally. Would they choose, like they do sometimes in real life, to just use their mother's surname? And like, how does that work? You know, you feel like these things are happening under the surface, even if the lore book or the official forums don't address them because they're just things that happen in human lives, right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely got like a very like, I guess like Icelandic or Scandinavian impression from just the way the names were structured. But I also could see like, yeah, like if you had a single mother, like, or you had a character with a single mother, like, would you then modify your surname to sort of incorporate that? Would you use, like, if there was a character that was based off, like, the child of my character, could you then use that, my name, my character's first name in the surname? Who knows? That's, like, a whole thing you could explore, really. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Just for all the role players out there that are listening, we want them to know that this is all about using your imagination, and you can tweak or modify these rules if it makes sense. Yeah, I think as long as you can explain it, right? As long as as you long can as you know the, the social context. Yeah, yeah. You got to know the rules so that then you can break them like yeah. subtly. So there's one last thing that I'd like to prompt you on, as far as developing her backstory. Okay. Now we typically associate the sea wolves with Limsa Limsa and Linosia. So I'm wondering, this fishing village that she came from, was this in that part of the world, or was it from another part of the world, possibly, where Seawolf Ruger didn't come from, such as there's a set of islands north of Eorzea, like near Charlan, which are apparently like their homeland? Yeah. It's also possible that she could have come from up there. 
You know, that's a good point, and that's something I actually never really considered. Because, I mean, in-game, Risrael has now taken on a number of roles, including, you know, disciplines of magic. So it's possible that those magical influence might be a little more relevant up where she's from. Who knows? Um, I was coming at it from the perspective of her just being in a secluded place where not a whole lot of, like, information or, like, external influences would carry because it's kind of, like, out in the boonies, right? Um, yeah. But that's certainly something that we could sort of, like, bend a little bit to sort of explain some of those other influences that have also happened. I've always sort of thought of it as she's had sort of a thirst for adventure and for trying new things, which has resulted in her having, like, an eclectic set of disciplines. I mean... As I am sort of a novice when it comes to the the geography of Heidelin. <laughs> um, yeah, I always sort of imagined her like being in a village sort of within the vicinity of Limsa. But I would be interested in exploring the possibility of being closer to Charlian. Actually, this is a bit off topic, but the thing that really surprised me was when we got into Stormblood, we actually learned that there were a bunch of Hellsguard sitting over like near Doma on the eastern yeah, side right? of Hydaelyn. That's right. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh man, like that's a whole opportunity that I never even knew I had. And it would have been really awesome to sort of like pursue that and sort of see where that went. I think that as we explore Eorzea more, or Eorzea and the surrounding areas really, we will get to see a lot more of the different cultures, and that'll open up new places for characters to be from. But as of right now, we have only a limited amount of places where any character could be from, and a limited amount of cultural knowledge up to this point. Yeah, but it's always fascinating whenever the world opens up, because you get to learn just tons of things. Um, I agree. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to point it out for the listeners, because as far as there is lore knowledge about these places... There are options as to where a character of a certain race could feasibly originate. I mean, you can kind of create enough logic so that any race could be from anywhere, as long as it kind of makes sense. But there are more logical options than maybe people realize. Yeah. Like, Charlayan seems to be pretty culturally diverse. So I've seen a lot of people just throw original characters. They're from Charlayan. But, for example, the homeland of Alolafel is in the Southern Islands. The homeland of the Makode is in Maricidia. Now there's this Hellsguard population that we meet over in the east, but not sea wolves. So where did that migration take place? Yeah, so that's really interesting. It's it's interesting because, yeah, Risrael, one of her maxed out disciplines right now is ninja, and I'm slowly working on samurai. So it's actually kind of interesting to say, you know, perhaps now that she's gone to the east and seen that a large number of not necessarily her immediate people, but like an offshoot of her people are over there. It may have left her a bit curious about, you know, what's this all about, right? Like, yeah. And having that sort of new lore discovery, like impact decisions that you take in game. Yeah, exactly. But as we noted in our Far East episodes, the Rugenin in Doma and Authard actually use more of the generalized Far East naming convention. They don't have this Hellsguard versus Seawolf distinction that actually exists in Eorzea. Though they may be ethnically, let's say, Hellsguard, they may originate from those same parts, you know, genetically. Their culture is that everyone in the East is kind of under one culture, one language, and thus one naming convention. 
Yeah, that was really fascinating to me, and I kind of wonder like what the origin is of that. So, would love to see that touched yeah. upon more. This crazy anthropology and sociology. Yeah, and just how different cultures intermingle with each other. It's really cool. For sure. So let's start to work on Riss Rail's personality as herself, not just her backstory. Okay. So one little bit that I'll add was I mentioned that Riss Rail has a father who's clearly defined. And when I was starting to think about this, I was like, okay, we know who her father is, at least in name. What about her mother? What happened? So, and this will sort of guide the personality. So, one day, whilst Little Bear was fishing, there was some some wreckage that sort of drifted ashore, possibly from a pirate vessel of some kind. Included in this wreckage was a member of the crew, a Rogadin woman. And so, he nursed this woman back to health, a bunch of things happened, they fell in love, eventually got married and had a kid, and that was Risrael. Aww. But I think based on that personality, even though Ristrell is mostly a carefree individual who sort of goes where she pleases to help people, there's always that bit of like fiery temper from her mother who used to be a pirate and just sort of like Ooh. settled down. I see. So, yeah. Oh, that brings up a question. Okay. So she came to Eorzea, right? And she's in Limsa Liminza right now. Yes. I wonder, based on her personality, do you think maybe she could have a certain area that she's based on, or do you think she's going to just wander from place to place and helping out whenever she's needed? Well, I've always sort of imagined her sort of wandering from place to place. I don't know if she's necessarily settled on, like, a base of operations where she's centered, though I, I would love I would love for that to be the case in the future. Um, yeah. Well, in that case, in that case, where does she, like, try to stay how does she find places to stay does she like try and camp and and tough things out herself or do you think she tries and find an inn does she make money somehow yeah i think she well right now she's she's taken on a life of gathering because gathering pays the bills and it's enabled (laughs) yeah she has skills that'll help let her pay the bills um and she is currently trying to get a house right now but right now she's sort of been content to return to Limsa after a, a long session of adventuring and just chill in the Drowning Wench and the nearby inn and just sort of rest and reflect on her adventures. Hmm. Uh, though now that she understands that there's a big Rogadin population over on the eastern side, she's eyeing Shiragane. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, everybody's <laughs> eyeing Shiragane. It's so true, though. Yeah. It's sort of funny how the uh, in-character and out-of-character stuff will overlap a bit. Yeah, right. Some people will some people will insist that their character's home is wherever just makes sense for that character to call home. Oh, yeah. Even if they can't literally get housing there. And some people will sort of be like, okay, well, wherever I end up getting housing is where I will retroactively create logic for why they settled down there. Uh, That's what yes. I did. I had, <laughs> I had my go. small house in the mist for a while. And I was like, well, Scoot found Limsa to be a lot like his home, so he decided to get a cottage there. But then eventually I ended up selling that and then got my house in the goblet. And I'm like, but he's in the Immortal Flames, so maybe his duties there made it more reasonable for him to leave his beachfront house. Or it wasn't really a beachfront house, but, you know, leave his his beachy house and come to the desert and work there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like right now a lot of my story choices are heavily being impacted by just things that have happened in game or things that just circumstances in game. I think that's a good way to do it though. Okay. Awesome. 
Yeah, I think it's more I think it's more common than people realize where you actually retroactively take real life events or in-game events outside of role play and then fit them into the story cuz you know, real life is a place to get inspiration just like anywhere else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I could say for Natsuki, okay, let's say he was born in Gridania or at least in the Black Shroud and the South Shroud where most of the Keeper of the Moon Makode live. And well, it just so happened that my first free company and my current free company had houses in the lavender beds. So I just said, he lives in the lavender beds. He stays in Gridania. Then I am going to get this mist house. And then I decide, hmm, maybe he really likes the beach because it's so different from the forest. And maybe because he's nocturnal, because he's a keeper of the moon, he likes the way that the beach is like just the right temperature at night because he's up all night. Whereas it's too hot during the day. You know, yeah. you can kind of find logic to justify it. That's that's a good point. Um, that's actually a really good point. I haven't really thought about that. Yeah, um, I guess you could say that, yeah, Risrael as a character has been, you know, wandering around for quite some time, helping people out and just sort of crashing where it's convenient, being happy to either crash in an inn or her own little, like, room in the free company house. But maybe she's looking to settle down now and just, like, find a place where she can sort of call home. And then decorate endlessly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so many bookshelves. Those indies <laughs> can be expensive. <laughs> yeah. Renting a room right. every night. It like, adds game up. might cost them. We gotta go yeah. for that long-term investment. Yeah. And people really can make the decor of their homes or the glamours that they choose part of that in-character personality. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think I was just inspired after seeing one of my FC mates' uh, small houses and just how it was decorated that I was just like, man, I don't, I didn't think I would be into this, but I really want to try like <laughs> doing something with it. Mm. So you talked a little bit about what sort of jobs you're leveling. Yes. And I definitely have always been the kind of person that would fit my character's job since I had two characters in the beginning. I would fit the jobs to their personality. Natsuki, for example, I really can't even imagine him as a melee or a tank. And I, I tried to level Machinist and it just felt wrong. Oh. So he's just a mage. He's just a mage and a bard, you know. Okay. But he doesn't like to actually hit things. Right. For some reason, even shooting feels too violent. But my other character, Remix, is just like all the melee job. Nothing but melee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All melee, all the you time. You know, and then two, two out of three of the tanks. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not doing alts, you're just going to end up leveling all the jobs anyway. But yeah. which of those do you think actually fit her personality? Um, so the very first job that I ever did on her was Marauder slash Warrior. And I always, it just sort of made sense as a cultural thing for the sea wolves to be like, oh, we're, we used to be pirates. We're going to learn how to use the axe and do things at sea, blah, blah, blah. For me personally at least in this game and for Ristral specifically, I have focused on tanks first and foremost. It was originally Warrior. It was Paladin for a bit, but I think I've ultimately settled on Dark Knight, at least for now, which kind of goes back to that temper. Like Dark Knight, if you've gone through the whole quest line, is all about just a lot of raw emotion being used to sort of channel the void. Well, not the void, channel the power of darkness on, on your foes and that sort of thing. And I and I don't I'm not a fan of the whole like edgelord mentality, but I definitely feel like, you know, you know, she's been through a lot and she probably has like a little bit of stress that she needs to unload. So, you know, going with the Dark Knight to sort of just channel that 
into what she does feels pretty appropriate. Yeah, there are definitely personality types that would be attracted to certain jobs over others. With the healers, too, like how Scholar is all about being a strategist and using your brain and kind of thinking differently, whereas everything in White Mage is really like warm and fuzzy and harmony with nature. (laughs) I've always sort of uh, envisioned Warrior as sort of the the don't worry, I've got this kind of kind of vibe <laughs> so i always yeah. i've always kind of imagined her as being that kind of a character where it's just like oh what's going on oh okay i got this yeah you kind of have to be a little type a to be a tank i got a little bit of it in yes I, I try to downplay it a lot but it's definitely it's definitely there <laughs> so yeah i'd say dark knight lets me sort of push into the more emotional part of that like the the more raw emotional part of that where like sometimes she just you know She's seen a lot, and even though she tries to, like, put on a good face every so often, she just needs to, like, you know, she needs to vent a little bit. Yeah, um, there's also Ninja, which has been uh, a thing that I've been messing with recently. Which is interesting, because I feel like it's sort of the concept of a Rogadin ninja, like a stealthy Rogadin, is, like, this, like, really bizarre (laughs) concept. So part of it was just me doing it because I wanted to, like, subvert that. That's true. And just, like, you know, yeah. Hmm. Nobody expects secret Rogadin from the shadows hiding in plain sight. Ah, right. I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like no one expects a Lalafell tank. Nobody expects a Lala tank. <laughs> Actually, I did something a little bit different. I built my personality around the job. Oh. But it looks like because you have so many different jobs, um, it it seems like the the second technique building the job really around the personality is fine and. No matter what job you decide to play, like, as your main out of game, you can always have your character be in character oh, a different yeah, class. for sure. Yeah. And that includes crafters and gatherers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, I've recently been leveling botanist because it's just like, it's just like, hey, you know, this is A, a means to an end, and B, just sort of a, you know, after, after all this stress of adventuring, sometimes it's just nice to, like calm down and just sort of explore the world. I wonder what the character would think about that, about gathering. So, rewinding a bit, um, Guardian I chose was Limlay and the Navigator. Um, hey, Guardian Buddies. Yeah, Guardian Buddies. Because I've always, and I've sort of imagined her as sort of being like, the wind will sort of guide you to your next destination. But the wind can be fickle and it can change at any moment, kind of a thing. At least that's how I see it. I'm not sure if that's accurate. But um, I've kind of always seen it as, like, it having an effect on her personality as being like, well, I, I have this profession, but, like, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that I could be trying and skills that I could be learning, so why don't I just explore them all and see what works? And I've always sort of used that to justify being able to switch jobs on a fly. Yeah, maybe she has an impulsive side or a curious side or a wanderlust. Yeah, I would say it's probably wanderlust. Because, like, she's definitely spent some time, like, going from place to place helping people. And now she's sort of, like, going from place to place acquiring materials. But it's also, like, a matter of, like, exploring this world that she, like, was sort of rushed to, like, run through. Because, you know, the world needed saving. So now it's just sort of a chance to sort of go back and explore, like, this huge stage. Running through the Dravanian Forelands the other night and just seeing that, like, oh, there's actually this huge zone that I didn't really even think about with, like, crazy stone pillars and wide mountains and rich forests and stuff like that. Yeah. You know how when you unlock a job and you first go to the guild 
And they give you this whole speech about what it really means to be a marauder or a botanist or a goldsmith or anything and how people just forget all about that. Yeah. You know, like a few quests later. Mm -hmm. Like maybe in thinking of your character's main professions, go back to those things about the essence of what it means to be any job. Oh, yeah. You know, how like the botanist quest line is all about harmony with nature and like very, very Gridanian values. Yeah. Absolutely. The Weaver is about suffering, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That's correct. That's completely accurate. I think that's more alchemist for me, but... (laughs) Yeah. I I loved that quest line, for the record. I did, too. It was so awkwardly adorable. (laughs) Now, we have a lot more prompt questions on our end, and a lot more detail that we could ask about to help flesh things out. However, what might be best is that you go ahead and take what we have built together today and give role-playing a try. Yeah. Whether it's in-game or out-of-game, and how about next time you report back to us on how that experience was? Sure. That sounds exciting. And maybe then we'll do some more specific character development. Oh, yeah. I think putting a little bit of this stuff into practice, getting the chance to work on this a little bit, and then see where the dialogue goes, that'd be a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. You're such a good test subject. Well, thank you. you know, <laughs> I, I love character building and stuff like this, and it's nice that I get a chance to do it after a long period of not being able to do so. So Yeah. So, based on what you already know, which type of roleplay interaction do you think you would be most comfortable with? Would it be in-game or out-of-game? Well, so I normally think of roleplaying from the perspective of in-game, but I'm actually curious to what opportunities lie out-of-game. Like, what would that involve? Like, a forum thing? Writing up a bio? There are a lot of different ways that you could roleplay out of game, I think. Tumblr is definitely one option. I've seen people make side blogs for their characters. I've seen people make entire new accounts for their characters. That usually requires writing a profile. I've also seen some forums. I know Highland Roleplayers is one of those, so you could always use that as a resource. Okay. Yeah, they have a huge wiki where people post their character bios and also a huge community attached to it. I see. I think to start, I'd probably want to start with something in-game because I feel like that is the most obvious context for me. Well, we know that you live on Gilgamesh with us. it's true. So finding roleplay interaction isn't going to be as easy as it is on the Balmungs of the world. Oh, great. However... That doesn't mean at all that it's not possible. Okay. And it just so happens that we're familiar with the in-game community. So what we're going to do is introduce you to some folks, some link shells. And also, to supplement that, there are a couple of discords that, for example, we're a part of. Okay. That can help facilitate the in-game interaction by letting you know about events. Or where people can post prompts, story ideas that they have, that they need people to participate in. Maybe to just do something private. and. If it ends up working out, you can sort of continue the interaction perhaps in a private Discord message or group Discord message. That's sort of something in between in-game and out-of-game. You know, it's not as public. So there's a number of different options. All you really need is just find other role players, right? All right, yeah. Should be fun to play around with. It will be. It will be. Soon, Rissrael will make her wonderful debut on the scene. I'm excited for it. (laughs) I'll be notorious in a bunch of private link shells, and it'll be great. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. 
So thank you for beginning this journey with us into yeah. Character Creation 101. Thank you for having me. Yeah, next time we'll have Character Creation 102. Cool. Looking forward to it. See what the results are. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what sort of stories that Risrael will end up taking part in. But for now, we're going to get into some stories of our own roleplay or not. Every week, just because we love the game so very much, we share a story that has taken place between this episode and our past episode. So would anybody like to start? So while I'm not privy to role-playing activities on Gilgamesh, I'm definitely privy to players being, you know, players on Gilgamesh. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Nervous laugh, nervous so, laugh. So, yeah, yeah. One of the, the, I don't know if you would call them perks, but one of the aspects of playing Ephemero in this game is every so often, you will get tells or whispers of people saying, oh, hey, sweet row. Oh, man, you look so cool. Or you look awesome. And it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, well, this is basically the equivalent of like catcalling in real life. So I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. Um, but there is one very specific incident that comes to mind. One day I was leveling my Thaumaturge, who sits this day at level 28. At the time, I was wearing Swiftcast. a... Yeah, Swiftcast. <laughs> That's exactly what I needed. Uh, at the time, I was wearing a velveteen cowl, which is the full body armor that covers your entire body and your head. Uh, and it was dyed a very bright desert yellow. Fellow FC mates affectionately refer to it as the banana suit. <laughs> so I was wearing this thing, and I walked into the gold saucer to do my usual gold saucer stuff while I was waiting for the duty roulette to pop so that I could level my thaumaturge. And I got a message being like, man what a sexy row or something of the like. And I just looked at this and I realized what I was wearing. And I was like, guys, someone's hitting on me in the gold saucer. And they're like, what else is new? And I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm wearing the banana suit. <laughs> they were like, oh my God, what did, <laughs> what did you say back to them? And I was like, I didn't say anything. I've just ignored it. And they're like, wow, Russ, breaking men's hearts in a banana suit. <laughs> And I'll bet oh, you, I'll bet you the player on the other end did not know. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I believe it. You know what's one of the coolest things about roleplay? Hmm. Is stepping into a role that you can't actually do in real life. For example, now you kind of know what it feels like to be out in the world in female. And no, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. I feel bad for you. Or if you're smiling or not. Yeah. You will get hit on by perverts. It's unfortunate, it's true. but it's true. Maybe as a man in real life, you would have never realized this on an emotional level oh, until yeah. you went into the roleplay world it's, as it's, a female. It's something that doesn't happen that often in game, but it happens just enough to where I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Still though, that banana suit. <laughs> yeah. It turns out if you if you want all the folks to come chasing after you, just put on that banana suit. <laughs> you can find one in Southern Thanalan, and it'll change your life. Oh wow. Well, I promised I would report back on my experience in real life doing a panel on FF14 at Liberty City Anime Con in New York City. So I explained a couple weeks ago some of my idea for the premise of the panel of talking about the community and the different sort of factions within the community and what kinds of true endgames that players choose for themselves. It could be raiding, it could be roleplay, it could be crafting, it could be anything. Though I didn't have a script, there were a couple of points I wanted to make, and I especially wanted to highlight 
the irony of this being an RPG and the dev team clearly acknowledging and supporting role players by doing things like putting detailed naming conventions for people to use, yet ironically also the bullying that role players very often experience and the specific incident that happened when cross-server Party Finder was first released, when I, living on Gilgamesh, would hear stories about Balmung players being bullied. And the sad thing is that I know it's because Balmung is known as the roleplay server and there's an unfortunate stereotype that roleplayers are this and that. And a lot of people just don't even know that that exists and that it happens and that it's wrong and that I don't want to see it. So that's one point I wanted to make, you know, just standing up for, for this community, right? And overall, I do think that the panel was a good success in that we had good attendance, probably about 50 people, even though it's a pretty small convention. I would say that the room was mostly full. Almost everybody there was an existing player, though some people were not. Some people were just gamers that had played other MMOs. And almost nobody in the audience said that they were currently a role player. So hopefully I was able to get an audience where I wasn't just preaching to the choir or telling them things they already knew. So, and a lot of people didn't really have questions about even just the basics, like how do you roleplay in the game? And I'm like, well, you use text chat and talking character, and maybe you throw up your roleplay status. And, you know, there was talk about the servers, which is the roleplay server. And of course, I did mention Balmung, but I also mentioned that you can't currently transfer to Balmung. So there are other communities popping up, but at the same time, maybe you shouldn't choose your server just based on what's the roleplay server. Maybe you should just go where your friends are, or you're most comfortable with, for example, picking the data center that you know, fits your time zone or picking a small versus large server, depending on what you're comfortable with. And then just seeing what the roleplay community is like there, because probably the majority of your game experience is going to be based around doing content. In what environment are you most comfortable doing content in? And then just carve out your space for roleplay there. You could say that it's an idealistic perspective and we've definitely met, you know, different opinions dissenting opinions on whether roleplay should be decentralized or not. But I was glad that I was able to basically talk to an audience of people that didn't know these things already and gave them a, a perspective and just showed that, hey, I'm a role player and I'm a, just a normal everyday person. You know, we're not that different. You know, Emmy and I are not that different than any other player out there. So overall, I would say that it was successful and I'm very glad that I did it. And I was very glad that I can now share the whole panel on video, on YouTube with everybody. So. If you haven't watched it already, head over to MuseCastXIV.com, scroll a few posts down, and check out the video of that panel from Liberty City Anime Con. So for my story, I had a lot of trouble trying to figure out what I wanted to, to talk about. Because not a lot has been happening in-game, you know? I've just been doing content, I've been raiding, but we haven't made like a ton of progress on anything. You know, I got Ixion, but that doesn't make for a good story. You well, know? you're raiding a couple times a week, right? Yeah, but, like, that doesn't have a whole lot of character significance. Well, <laughs> one of the things that I did, I was talking to with the friendly staff over at the Crucible, and I I told them that I had bought a bunch of minions and maybe was looking to resell them later, but we'll see. And so, of course, the Crucible was like, can we write an article about this? And I hadn't had my character, my original character, uh, Scoot, in in the crucible at all so I was kind of interested in seeing what they did with it so I said sure go ahead and they took it and they took this story about you know my my little kid Lala buying a whole bunch of puppies into this character 
like makes for an uplifting story, right? He started a business all on his own, all by himself. He's making hand over fist in in Gil, which he isn't. Um, <laughs> he's he's sold these puppies for for so much, and it's so great, and it shows how great Uldah is. But, but he's Whoa. he's done that by he's done that by starting a puppy mill. And he keeps them in these terrible conditions, but he sells them for a lot, so that's what's important. And my character has been barred from reading The Crucible because children should not be reading The Crucible, and he sent in a letter early on to the editor, so he has no idea about any of this going on. But I thought that was pretty funny, and I wonder how that would change things in the world that he lives in, if at all, because he is on a different server. He's not on Baomung. So... You know, I thought that was that was pretty interesting and pretty fun to to read and it was it was silly. So it was. That took a dark turn. <laughs> it's like something as simple as okay, I bought a bunch of stuff off the market board turns into this giant thing in character and I thought that was cool. I really truly admire the Crucible's ability to take the stupidest little things and polish them <laughs> into like comedy gold. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> oh man. But they also kind of hid his identity by misspelling his name. You could tell it's him. Yeah. It's like Scott Scott Patat. And I, it originally was something else. But I was like, you need to change it to Scott <laughs> because a lot of times in Duty Finder, people will say Scott instead of Scoot. <laughs> they read it as Scott. They don't read it as Scoot, even though it's a lullabell. And so I was like, no, you need to change it to Scott Patat right now. <laughs> his alter ego. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, our listeners may be curious, whatever happened to those plans we were making? About what? We were going to hit a magical number of downloads. 9,999, which is like the most Final Fantasy number ever. Well, a few weeks ago, in August, we made it. Woo! Yay! Woo! Now, it's time to celebrate. And hey! It's September. Well, almost September. I think once it comes out, it will be September, right? Yeah. Emmy had the crazy idea of doing a 9.9 hour stream. And I'm like, why don't we do it on 9.9? Yeah, so now we have 9.9 on 9.9 for (laughs) 9,999 views. So, or listens, rather. (laughs) So, we're inviting all of our listeners to come join us for the 9,999 download celebration, which will be held on Twitch. And we're going to start at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, so that we have a hope of, you know, getting to past midnight you know (laughs) for me it will be (laughs) but it's going to be a big variety show of lots of different things some story time stream some of those in-character dungeon runs we've been talking about and hey maybe even some special guests that would be nice yeah in addition to plenty of listener interaction of course and if enough people come on some games and prizes it'll be a mishmash of things and we'll decide what we're going to do and when we're going to do it pretty much on the spot but It will be on September 9th, starting at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash musecastxiv. So if you want to be alerted, go ahead and give us a follow. And while you're at it, you can also follow us on all of our other social media accounts. You can find our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And of course, we have our Tumblr, or our website rather, at musecastxiv.com. We also have a Facebook account. Just look up MuseCastXIV there and we'll be right there. 
Or you can find us on Twitter at MusecastXIV. We are very creative with names. And hey, if you like what you heard and you would like to support us in some way, we have two methods where you can do that. We have our Patreon, where for a monthly donation, you can unlock things like getting access to episodes 24 hours before they actually come out, which is pretty cool. Or you can find bonus content, all the things that we wanted to talk about but just didn't have the time to do. You can find that there. You can also give a one-time donation to our PayPal account, which you can find, along with our Patreon link, at our website, musecastxiv.com. Just look on the right side of the page, and there are two shiny buttons that you can click for those. And I'm proud to say that today, for the first time, we have the opportunity to thank a donor on air. Who is it? Well, the free company that Russ and I are in, Espers United recently celebrated its fourth anniversary as it was created in Realm Reborn Beta four years ago at the game's launch. And can you believe it? We have not broken up since then. This free company has persisted by just generally being awesome all the time (laughs) and accepting awesome people like us. But as a little anniversary present, our free company leader got together some donations and made a generous gift to MuseCast 14. So thank you. Esper's United Free Company of Gilgamesh. We are the tag Esper. Thank you very, very much, Esper's United. You guys are United. my heroes. Woo! <laughs> well, <laughs> you're true. part of it, I mean, though. I can't be my own hero, though. That's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so if you do decide to to uh, donate to us, we'll give you a shout-out if you donate enough. You know, that's pretty cool, too. Yes. You'll also get warm, fuzzy feelings. Yes, having done something good for our podcast, I guess. Mm. Anyway, on our website, you can also find a link to our Discord right beneath the donation buttons. And you can also find our Discord link on the contact page of our website, musecastxiv.com. Our Discord is a great place to talk about all things roleplay, whether it be just general lore help, whether it be writing help, or if you just want to talk to people about what it's like roleplaying on your server. You know, get advice about really anything. So... We have a lot of great people on there who are very knowledgeable in what they do, so you might want to check that out. Absolutely. 1010 would recommend our Discord. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to bring you in, Russ, since you're being broken in as a new role player. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. So stay tuned next time for the continuing adventures of Arisrael Quinvarwin. Please look forward to it. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) But until then, happy adventuring, everyone. We'll see you next time. Yep. See you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Character Creation 102. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.